And we are live and welcome to Beyond the Fundamentals. In this video, we have a lot of stuff lined up for you today. We are going to be in John chapter 10 and we're going to show why John chapter 10 refutes Calvinism. Now, we do have a lot of good stuff lined up today. So you need to listen fast. I'm going to talk fast right after this. See, this is my wife, mine and my wife's uh, anniversary month. We had our first date on the 30th this month. We got married on the 26th of this month, right after this video. I am leaving here and we're going to go reenact part of our second date. So we're pretty excited about that. So I'm going to talk fast, get ready for that. But we did set aside time for you so that you do not have to suffer the, the ravages of Calvinism for one second longer than you absolutely have to. We are here to help. So if you like seeing content like this, we uh, invite you to support the channel. The details to do so are in the description below. Coming up with content like this takes time, space, resources, energy, that sort of stuff. And we couldn't do it without you. Thanks for all the generous support we've been getting recently. And it's made this possible. So if you want to see more content like this come up and keep it ad-free, uh, you know what to do. Somebody has already asked, um, are indulgences back in stock? Yes, indulgences are back in stock. We're going to have a slideshow today. And... The slideshow, if you look in the description of this video, the slideshow that we're going to show today is available on Etsy. Anybody can go purchase that and then you can own it. You can edit it. You can chop it up. You can make anti-Kevin videos with it. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want to with it. You can use it at your church, at your home Bible study to teach on John 10. Anything you want and any, uh, any, all purchases will go toward alleviating purgatory for you or a loved one for at least an additional 20 minutes. So... You don't want to miss out on that and catch it while supplies last, okay? There are just under a thousand of those available. So, <clears throat> yeah, thanks for the happy anniversary stuff. I appreciate that. We want to get right into the content here and look at John chapter 10. Since we are dealing with Calvinism and since we have a lot of new Calvinists joining us on a regular basis who have never heard of this channel before, we are not like other non-Calvinists. So you need to understand that Beyond the Fundamentals does not promote or agree with Arminianism, Pelagianism, Universalism, Synergism, Monergism, or any other ideological label to which Calvinists attempt to map their theological opponents. We also do not hold free will as an axiomatic premise, nor do we worship ourselves or think that we save ourselves. We completely support biblical predestination and biblical election while rejecting Augustinian and Gnostic perversions of these concepts. So before you comment on this video, understand that we have it, like at least 250 other videos that address the topics of Calvinism. So please make sure you understand that. If you think something is left out here, it is probably covered somewhere else. Some key points that we are going to cover here, and, and I want to remind you, this slideshow is available on Etsy for your consumption. You can own it, okay? The things that I want to point out today is that, number one, there are no goats in, in John 10, okay? Nor in the entire book of John, there are no goats, John 10 is about sheep of different folds. It is not about sheep and goats. Goats are only at the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. And the nations get separated as a shepherd separates the goats and the sheep and the nations, not people. And the nations are judged not on whether or not they trusted Christ or used Christ as the door, which we will look at later, but on how they treated Christ's brethren, the Jew, during the tribulation period. 
That's what they. That's the criteria for the separation. There, it's a national national thing. Individuals are never referred to as goats in the New Testament. If you look up the word goat, you will see a gap between Matthew twenty five and the book of Hebrews. You don't see goats anywhere else in the New Testament. And Hebrews is not talking about people. It's talking about actual goats that they used to sacrifice back in the Old Testament, like in Leviticus 16 and so forth. Uh, Jesus sees lost people as goats and not, uh, not as goats. He sees lost people not as goats, but as sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, not just his own sheep. We will see that. Jesus gives eternal life to his, his uh, fold. Some people think, I heard a Calvinist recently say, and we'll get to this, that uh, Christ gave eternal life to all the sheep for whom he died. That's not how the text reads. The Christ gives eternal life to all those who come in through the door. That's how the text reads, and that's what we're going to look at. Now, John 1 through 9, that would be the first nine chapters of the book of John before we get to chapter 10, is expected to be retained in working memory before reading chapter 10. That is very, very important. We have a principle on our channel that we promote is called the keep reading principle. If if Calvinists would just keep reading the Bible, uh, they would it would cure their Calvinism. If they would just read the entire New Testament and understand all of it and not have something like this selecting passages for their salience landscaping, they would be cured of their Calvinism. If you hit John 6.44, if you just keep going to John 7.39 and see that the Holy Ghost wasn't even given yet, so it's not the Holy Ghost drawing there, and then see John 12.32, bam, no more Calvinism. If you take Ephesians 1.4 and you just keep going to Ephesians 2.12, bam, it destroys the Calvinistic view of Ephesians 1.4. If you look at the Calvinistic view of Romans 9.18 and then just keep going to Romans 11.32, bam, no Calvinism. If you look at John 17, 9, which is another Calvinist proof text, and just keep going to John 17, 21 bam, cured of your Calvinism. If you would just keep reading, you would be cured of your Calvinism. Remember, context and Calvinism never go together, not one single time, ever, never, ever, never. Okay? So, as we continue here, Jesus, uh, John 1 through 9 is expected to be retained. We're going to look at some of the key things in the first nine chapters that the reader should be bearing in mind before they get to chapter 10. And we'll explain the problem there. What happens is Calvinists are really bad. They're really good at this, actually. They're really clever about setting the context with a discussion outside of Scripture and then bringing that context and imposing it onto the passage in question. That's what's called eisegesis. That's injecting a, an idea into the text. What we're trying to do is exegesis, where we draw the meaning out of the text. And if you look at John chapters 1 through 9, the Calvinistic interpretation of John chapter 10 is an absolute no-go. You have to be absolutely psychotic in order to entertain it for even a second. John chapter 1 gives the tenor of the book. Um, the light lights every man. We'll see that receiving Christ is the threshold of entry to being a son of God, John 1, 12. John 20, verse 30 through 31 gives the tenor of the book, that you may believe, and they believe you may have life through his name. John 17, 19 through 21 gives the tenor of the book. So we have three different passages that give, are listed here that help give the tenor of the book, that help us see the flavor of it, okay? Uh, which does not match the Calvinistic Gnostic flavor imposed onto John 10. John 5 contains the pre-statements 
that are that set the stage and tone of John 10. In other words, John 10 is another way of saying things that are already said in John 5. And if you have John 5 in mind, then you will get John 10. If you have Gnosticism in mind, then you will not get John 10. Then you will misuse John 10. And that's what the Calvinists do. We want to have John 5 in mind, not John, not Gnosticism. Okay. Uh, John chapter 8 also sets the tone for John chapter 10. We'll look at some of that. Now, it's a lot, not a lot of people know this, and you have to come to Beyond the Fundamentals to find out this secret. This is a very little known fact that John chapter 9 comes before John chapter 10 and should be considered for context and meaning. If you ever catch yourself in a discussion with a Calvinist about John chapter 10, you may want to point that out because none of them seem to know it. It is a very well-kept secret from Calvinists. All right. You may also want to point out at some point in time that uh, Romans keeps going after chapter 9. Not a lot of Calvinists know that either. Very good kept secrets that you can only get here at Beyond the Fundamentals. Nobody else knows these things. Um, yeah, 20 minutes does not seem like a lot. But hey, if you were going through that 20 minutes in purgatory, you would want out too. So uh, take what you can get. Bringing a Calvinist uh, or Gnostic tone to John chapter 10, by the way, we were looking at comments a second ago, is disruptive to the context of the book of John. So those are the things that we're going to look at in the book of John. We already looked at the keep reading thing. Now, on this channel, we do have a lot of other videos on John in the for, for the book of John. We talk about John 3.27, John 6.44, why John 1.13 does not support Calvinism. So we're going to look at that passage later a little bit, but if you want the, the deep dive stuff on that, go to that video. We're not going to cover all that here because we don't have the time to do so. I have a date later. We can't cover it all, okay? John 6.65 we cover. We have another one, ten, the top 10 things Calvinists overlook in John 6.37. And that video, I think it's it's around 10 minutes or so. It's a pretty short video, so you might enjoy that one. And I know James White did a refutation of that video, but he actually didn't refute anything that I said. He just talks about something other than what I said. And I also did a response video to that. So a lot of people like to point that out, so I will point that out as well. I have another video on John 10, but I don't feel like it, I feel like it fell short because I really just focused on verse 26 and there are some other passages that also deserve attention and we want to zoom out and consider the entire context the entire chapter that's what we're going to try to do this video over here on the right is about john chapter 3 verse 3 except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god we show why that also does not support calvinism now let's get into the mind of some of these calvinists and what they think they think some crazy things aw pink <coughs> He said, preach election and you will know who the sheep and the goats are. Well, where does the Bible ever say to preach election? Doesn't it say to preach the gospel? Do you ever see anybody in the Bible say preach, preach election to every creature? Absolutely not. Okay. If you preach Gnosticism to people like Augustine's Augustine's Gnostic version of election to people, then you say, well, that's not Gnostic. Yeah, get Ken Wilson's book, um, Augustine's Version of Election and Predestination is Gnostic, okay? Now, we've known this way before Ken Wilson ever wrote this, but this is a very good comprehensive work on what he did. He's also got a much easier to read book um, called the, the Foundations of Augustinian Calvinism, which is the same content here, but kind of um, 
like a, I don't know, like a Cliff's Notes version, a little bit easier to read. But yes, we have scholarly support for when we say this, Calvinism is neo-Gnosticism. So he'll say who the sheep and the goats are. What is he referring to here? And this idea of sheep and goats works its way into John chapter 10 because it talks about sheep a lot, okay? Uses that as an analogy, as a comparison for human beings. But there are no goats in John chapter 10. So it's a bad analogy for John chapter 10. But you'll see even non-Calvinists using this. For example, over here, there's a tweet from the provisionist perspective. I do not know who owns this, okay? But this person said, the second line is a weird thing for him to say, but I agree. Feed the sheep, evangelize the goats, cast out the wolves. So even here, you have a non-Calvinist falling in with Calvinistic thinking that unsaved people are goats. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says at all. Uh, according, to, according to Jesus Christ, he does not see lost people as goats. He sees lost people as sheep without a shepherd. Very, very, very different. And in John chapter 10, we see people presented as sheep of different folds, not as sheep and goats. Very, very different. So do not fall for this. If you are a non-Calvinist, do not, or a Calvinist, whatever you are, do not fall for this goats thing coming into John chapter 10. It has no basis there. There are sheep of various different folds, sheep without a shepherd, Mark 6, 34, Jesus, when he came out and saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep, having not a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things, Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, not as goats, as sheep having no shepherd. Here's a Calvinist on Facebook, and he says, apostates, notice how this, this rivalrous, ussing and theming, outgrouping type language. Apostates were never given to Christ by the Father, John 6, 37. They were never sheep, but proved to be goats. Proved to be goats. John 10, 26. That's his verse, John 10, 26. The people proved to be goats. There are no goats in John 10. There are no goats in John 10, 26. There are no goats in the entire book of John. There are no goats in Mark, Luke, or John, or Acts, or Romans or all the way up till you get to the book of Hebrews. There are no goats, okay? So where does this idea come from? Not the Bible. So why do we say that Calvinists don't believe the Bible? Because they don't believe the Bible. All their ideas to support Calvinists, every single idea and argument to support Calvinist distinctives, every single one of them, originates from outside of Scripture. Without exception, there are no exceptions to that statement, absolutely no exceptions. Every single argument for Calvinistic distinctives, Everything that Calvinist believes that a Christian does not believe. I was talking to somebody today who was complaining about their, about a Calvinist pastor who was not Calvinist, then was suddenly Calvinist. Okay, and the dude claimed that he had just turned to Calvinism. What he's trying, he, what he really did was he clandestinely infiltrated the church in order to take it over, and he's trying to use the fact that he recently converted to Calvinism as a cover story for having infiltrated under false pretenses. That's what he's trying to do. But when Calvinists do this, they know, and I've talked to them. I talked to them and I've told my story on this back when I was a youth pastor and I actually had one that I was, I was in cahoots with. They know the difference between Christianity and Calvinism. And they know how to keep Calvinism turned off while the crowd gets warmed up to them for a couple of years and then they turn it on. They know the difference. There is a difference between Christianity and Calvinism and the Calvinist infiltrating pastors who use stealth Calvinism to take over non-Calvinist churches. They know this. They know the difference. 
They know that the difference is. They try to present Calvinism as if it's a deeper version of Christianity. It is not. And they know it. Um, Christ laid down his, li his life for his sheep. That is not what the Bible says. We're going to see that he laid down his life for the sheep, not his sheep. He does say some things about his own sheep. But he lays down his life for the sheep, which are the sheep of all the different folds, not just his own. So where does he get this from? Not from any Bible you ever saw in any language or any version you ever found on any shelf in any Christian bookstore. No, sir. You did not find that anywhere. And they will never lose salvation. Jesus gives eternal life only to the, given him by the Father. So then down here, the second one. Jesus did not die for people in hell. If he did, then he was punished for the same exact sins that the people in hell are currently being judged for. If God did this, he would be unjust. Uh, Jesus died for his sheep, not goats. Okay, there he goes again. And he's, uh, this, they base these arguments based off, he lays down his life for the sheep. He says, he, they think they're his sheep. He says here, his sheep. Text does not say that. The text says the sheep, the sheep. He gives eternal life to his sheep, lays down his life for the sheep. Where does this come from? Not the Bible. So why is this Calvinist saying this? Because Calvinists do not believe the Bible. Their beliefs do not come from Scripture. They're distinctive beliefs. Now, the ones they hold in common with you, like they'll say, well, we believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I'm, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about distinctive beliefs. Distinctive beliefs. What are those? Those are things that are unique to Calvinism, that are different from Christianity. They know what they are. Now, his sheep, Jesus died for his sheep exclusively. Text doesn't say that. Where does he get that? He gets that from Augustinian Gnosticism. He does not get that from any Bible you ever ever saw anywhere. <clears throat> now, this guy in the comment section says, I'm not a Calvinist, but goats is not foreign to Scripture. Now, we already covered this. You must be joining us late. Because, yeah, we uh, goats show up in Matthew chapter 25 in the judgment of the nations. Individuals are never referred to as goats in the New Testament. Okay, Nations are. And the criteria for which they are considered goats is how they treated the Jew in the tribulation period, not whether or not they received Jesus Christ. Completely different things. So we've already covered that. There are no goats between Matthew 25 and Hebrews. Okay? Um, we already talked about this. Jesus, she, Jesus sees lost people as sheep without a shepherd, not as goats. Now, let's look at John chapter 1. Okay, let's look at the tenor. Let's look at the tone of John chapter 1 before we get into John chapter 10 and see the flavor of what we're getting into. In the beginning was the word, the logos. What is the logos? It is that, you know, John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1 both start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning was the word, was the logos. Heraclitus was talking about the logos long before uh, John showed up and exapted it for Jesus Christ. Okay, so the logos is the capacity to speak and extract habitable order out of chaos. In the beginning was that. Okay, and then we find out later in verse fourteen that that became was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter one verse fourteen, which I don't have here for the sake of time, but it is there. So the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, etc. and so forth. And I'm not skipping over things to be irreverent just for the sake of time. Uh, I hope you have this passage and can read it on your own as well. 
So in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Is it certain men, elect men, or just men? It just says men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that what? That all men through him might believe. What does that mean? Does that mean all elect people? Does that mean all kinds of people? Does that mean some of all kindred race, tongue, and tribe? No, it says very clearly that all men through him might believe. He, John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness to that light. That was, who was that light? Jesus, I am the light of the world. You'll see that in John chapter 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Notice he doesn't just say every man. He said he gives the criteria for it. That cometh into the world. The same world that Jesus doesn't pray for in John chapter 17, verse 9. Those men that come into the world. He was that true light. Um, does that sound like there's something exclusive and Gnostic going on? Like the Calvinists would have you believe in John chapter 10. Absolutely not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. That's the same world in John chapter 17, verse 21. Do I have that standing by closely? John chapter 17, verse 21. I thought I had these laid out. And I added a bunch of slides. But what we'll do is we will look at John chapter 17, verse 21 elsewhere, like this. Jesus prays, neither pray I for these alone. The, the ones that are given are the 12 apostles, by the way, not you and me. They're the 12 apostles. We know that from verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those, those that thou gavest me have I kept. The ones that he was with while he was in the world are the ones that are given. You and I are not among the ones that are given. Calvinists have what we call narcissists. They see themselves and everything everywhere where they don't belong. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. They see themselves there. He's not talking to you. He's talking to the 12 apostles there. You are not one of the 12 apostles. You come later. Okay. So he's praying for the ones that are given there. And then later on, he prays, Neither do I pray for these alone. Now I'm no longer just praying for the given, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The given are going to preach the word, the 11 remaining apostles, because Judas <coughs> went the way of the dodo, right? That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that what that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That is the tenor of what's going on in John chapter 1. So we'll get back to the slide where we were. And, and the very next passage. So he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now we're going to look at verse 31 in a second. Look at John 1, 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, John the Baptist said. Therefore am I come baptizing in water. So when the Bible says he came to his own, and his own received him not, this should throw Calvinism on its head as well, because if they're not... If they didn't receive Christ, if they didn't hear his voice, remember John chapter 10, their spin on John chapter 10, then in what way are they his own? You see? It's because they're Israel, not anything to do with any Gnostic Augustinian version of some kind of elect thing, okay? And his own received him not. Well, if they, if they didn't receive him, then in what way are they his own? Okay, that's a good question to ask a Calvinist. 
Um, the answer is because they were Israel, not because they were saved, not because they were sheep, not because they were elect, but because Jesus was initially sent to Israel. How do I know that? It says right there that he should be made manifest to Israel. He came to his own. That's his own. He shall save his people from their sins. Well, that's not the elect, Matthew one twenty one. That's also Israel. Look at Matthew chapter 2. It tells you very clearly in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 2. Okay? And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we... Oh, wait. That's not the right slide. Ha! Huh. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So receiving Christ is restated. How do you receive Christ? Believing on his name is how you receive Christ. Well, God gives power to become the sons of God. Who does he give that power to? He gives that power... He gives that power to as many as received him. That's, and how do they become sons of God? After they receive Christ. Well, after they receive Christ, they become sons of God by being born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When does that happen? After they receive Christ, because that power is given to them that believe on him. Very clear. And we're going to take that concept. And we're, so we want to hold all these concepts as we... Hey, Idol Killer. Welcome aboard. It's good to see you. Glad you dropped in to say hello. <clears throat> but as many as received him, so we understand that um, receiving Christ is, is crucial. And we're going to see that in John chapter 10. The key point that I want to point out here is that you have to, as you're going through the book of John, you got to hold all this in your working memory by the time you get to chapter 10. Calvinists want you to forget everything in John chapters 1 through 9 and bring a Gnostic version of, of a, like a Gnostic worldview out and have all this stuff apply to Gentiles today. And we'll see why that doesn't work uh, as we get to it, as we bear in mind all, all the rest of these passages. So if you keep going in the book of John chapter 1, um, John the Baptist says, This is, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, not the sin of the elect, but the sin of the world. You want to see our video on sin and glory, what no theologian has learned. He really did take away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us was taken out of the way, nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. There was not some other handwriting of ordinances that's for the non-elect still waiting around to be against them. There's only one handwriting of ordinances against people, and it is taken out of the way. The sin of the world is gone. Sin is no longer the problem now that we have Christ. There's another problem, and I'll talk about it in many other videos, okay? Um, and John the Baptist says, And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. So that comes back to John chapter 1, verse 11. So now let's look at John chapter 9. The key thing about John chapter 9, the reason it's very important, is because it comes before John chapter 10. And the flow goes into John chapter 10. Jesus is talking about, so you need to understand John 9 first. So what I'm going to give you an abbreviated Cliff's Notes version. Over here on the left-hand side, I have the beginning of John chapter 9. Over on the right-hand side, I have the end of John chapter 9. And I'm going to Cliff's Notes the middle of it for you. And Jesus passed by, saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God should be made manifest. Well, what about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? you got to get the context here. He's not saying they never did any sin. What he's saying is that he's not blind because of his sin. 
He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He has several statements. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world, right? When he had thus spoken, I am the living water, right? When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, let me ask you a question if you're a Calvinist. Who healed him there? It seems like a Calvinist, since he had to go his way and wash and then come back seeing, who healed this guy? A Calvinist would have to say he healed himself. Same with Naaman, who went and wa- had leprosy and went and washed. Second Kings 5 went and washed in the Jordan River, dipped seven times and then came up clean. A Calvinist would have to say that they healed themselves and that that is synergism. But, obviously, he had to follow instructions in order for Christ to heal him. Nobody, nobody has any doubt. Nobody in this chapter thinks that this guy healed himself like a Calvinist would have to interpret it. it because they think that when you believe on Christ, you're saving yourself. It's absolute nonsense. Absolute gibberish. Okay? And now the end of the chapter. So what happens in the, in the middle of there, between verses 7 and 35... Um, Everyone's getting all upset that this guy got healed and they're calling Jesus into question, all this kind of stuff, okay? So Jesus heard that they cast him out. So they cast this guy out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Same guy that was healed. Gets gets ejected (laughs) by the Jews. And he says, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now wouldn't Jesus know that? Why would he have to ask them that? Now look at this. Now think John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. And, and to give you a clue, this guy believes. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This looks like a conversion account, if nothing else. So um, if he says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? If he's a sheep, why doesn't he just say yes? You see? He, doesn't, he, he winds up being a sheep, but he's not yet. Or he, he winds up, if he's a sheep of Christ's fold, if you will. You know, because Calvinists think, in terms of scriptural terms, they would think that whoever the elect are are of Christ's fold from before the foundation of the world, which is interesting because if that's so, they never had to be saved from anything. And then the people who are not of Christ's fold never have salvation offered to them. So the people who are elect never need grace because they're already elect and it's already inevitable what will happen to them. The people who are not elect are never offered grace. They have, they have the five solas and they think that they own them, which they don't. And they, one of them is grace alone, sola gratia. They think that they own grace. There actually is no grace in Calvinism. The elect don't need it and nobody else gets it. There's no grace in Calvinism. So it should be sine grace, without grace. There is no grace. There's no need for grace in Calvinism, and there is no grace offered in Calvinism. The elect were already elect before the foundation of the world, and nothing changes that as time progresses. Nothing happens in time that affects their destiny. It's already set. They don't get any grace. They're just elect. All right? So he said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Well, why wouldn't he? If he was a sheep, wouldn't he recognize the voice of the shepherd? You see... The Calvinists would have you believe that this is some kind of Gnostic osmosis infusion kind of thing going on. That I autom- because I'm elect, I automatically magically recognize it, resorting to magic, thinking to integral theory. You know, they they go they resort back to magic. There's nothing magic going on here. He still has to be told. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it's he that talketh with thee. Hey, it's me. I'm the guy. And then he goes, Oh, 
He said, Lord, I believe. Then he believes. He has to be told. He's not, he's not a sheep. There's no magic Gnostic thing going on that suddenly magically makes him believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I'm come into this world, there's the word world, that they which see might not see, and that they which, might, they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? Now this, I want you to pay very close attention to this, okay? Sola culta, that's exactly right. It's only a cult. Jesus said unto him, if you were blind, you should have no sin, but now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. If you, you, if you were blind, you have no sin. But now we say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. What is the people, wh- who are the people who say we see? There are the people with no epistemic humility. There are people who are not in explore mode. There are people who go to a debate. They will go to a debate and they will say, they will presuppose before the debate starts that I am right. And my job is to persuade everybody else that I am right. Why are they right? Because they can see. See, they're not blind. They're right. That is the most disoriented you could possibly be. But if you, if you have some epistemic humility and you, decide, you understand that debate is a bad idea because who are you to decide that you are right? Can you see everything? Are you claiming to be able to see all the truth that's out there and have considered everything that there is to consider before you boldly proclaim this false interpretation that you think is true because because you're not transformed and you're immature and you're you're weak and infirmed and don't know any better yet you think some the more true you think some particular set of propositions is the more immature and infirmed you are okay so it's actually a sign of humility and maturity when a person acknowledges what they cannot see they have a, a, a form of higher ignorance. They know what they don't know and what they can't know. And they are open up to be led by somebody who can see at least a little more than they can. Okay, And you can't get that way with debate. You can't have a proper relationship with your ego with debate. Or it's very, very unlikely. Okay, it, it, To the tune where I've never seen it. Okay, So for somebody to show up and if, for anybody who to be in favor of debating... What that means is they think they see clearly enough to boldly proclaim themselves to be right rather than being in explore mode and understanding what their limitations are and trying to get some, some parallax with s- some synoptic viewpoints, perspectival knowing for, from some other people, both earnestly in explore mode. Okay. So whenever you see somebody that likes to debate, they are the people saying, we see. That's basically what they're saying. I see clearly enough to the point where I'm willing to put my identity on the line to convince and persuade other people of what I think is true because I see clearly. Well, those people's sin remain. And in order to sin, harmatia, missing the mark, it's an archery term, you're missing the bullseye, you have to be properly aimed. And if you think you can see when you can't, you can never properly aim, but when you recognize that you can't see and you start looking for guidance for some help to see, then you can start to become properly oriented. So this verse where Jesus says, I'm coming to this world that they which see not might see and that they which might see be made blind. That's, that's exactly what's going on. And you can see that all the time. So they which see, those who are going to debates thinking that they know everything, they are blind as a bat flying them backwards. And it's those who recognize what they can't possibly know. 
that have a possibility of orienting themselves towards something that might hit the mark. I press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <coughs> John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. <laughs> they have a super secret little orphan Calvin Gnostic decoder pen to decipher scripture. That's exactly right. Because you could never get, you could never get um, this Gnosticism out of the text. You have to bring the Gnosticism with you. Holy Moly's Donut Shop says, This is a perfect example of why people in history tried to exclude passages from the Bible because it doesn't fit their narrative. It's always because of Brother Melms, etc. has a problem with Scripture. Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and the robber. Well, how is a way to not be a thief and the robber? Enter by the door. Is there any question about who the door is? We're going to see in verses 9, 10, and 11, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That's what he's going to say. What do you have to do to become a sheep of Christ's fold? Enter in by the door. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's nothing stopping somebody, a sheep of a different fold, from becoming the sheep of Christ's fold. All they have to do is enter in through the door. Okay? So the sheepfold can apparently be entered if entered properly. Christ's sheepfold. All you have to do is enter by the door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ. So it's not sheep and goats. It's sheep of different folds. Remember, Jesus saw lost people. Jesus saw lost people as sheep of different as, as sheep not having a shepherd, not as goats. So everybody's a sheep, all right? But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus here, it's interesting because he, he uh, compares himself to a sheep, to the door. He is the door and he is the shepherd that goes in through the door. So he's both of those things in this analogy, which is kind of strange. So you have to imagine him as both, all right? So what he's talking about here now is not necessarily sheep of his fold and not uh, fold, but somebody else who is a thief and a robber, something like a hireling, that kind of thing. You'll see him talk about that sometimes too. So, but he, he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the good shepherd comes in through the door. To him, the porter openeth and the, the sheep hear his voice, not just his. Now, then he calleth his own sheep by name. Did you hear that? Did you see that? You have a bunch of sheep. Some of them are his, some of them are not. They all hear his voice. But then he calls his own sheep by name. Well, how would you become one of his own sheep? Enter in by the door. That's how you become one of his own sheep. You'll see that in a second. He calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And you, so you'll see that in over the, still today while they're doing sheep herding, you'll see combinations of sheep herders. And then you see the shepherd call their sheep away and their sheep will know to follow and it'll separate the flock of sheep of different folds. Not sheep and goats, sheep of different folds. You'll see them separate, follow their own shepherd. When he putteth, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him. Now, Obviously, the sheep, the shepherd is walking and leading the way, but also what you want to think of in this context is the Jewish people all throughout the Old Testament, God, from the time that 
from the time that he's leading the, the Israelites out of Egypt with a pillar of fire and a pillar of a cloud, that kind of thing, from the time that he's doing that, he's constantly giving things, leading the way, leading the Jewish people toward, leading the Israelites toward the Messiah, okay? He's constantly got these points, he's leading them along so that when Christ shows up, he, when he shows up, they know his voice, for they know his voice, okay? And that's, that's what you're going to get. Jesus is basically the carryover of the Father as far as leadership of the Israelites is concerned. It's how he's presenting himself in the book of John. And I'll show you that in John chapter 5 and 8 in just a few minutes. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Okay? So the genuine sheep, the ones who are really following Jehovah, Old Testament style, because remember the New Testament hasn't started yet, because the New Testament, New Testament is by the death of the testator. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. Um, <clears throat> so he's speaking to them in a parable. Now let's look at... The next passage, verses 7 through 18. Jesus said unto them again, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So a second ago, the shepherd enters in by the door, okay? And he's the shepherd. Now he says, I am the door. And he, later he calls himself, I am the shepherd, okay? I am the good shepherd over here in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. So he compares himself to the door and to being the shepherd, which goes in and out of the door. And Jesus says unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So you go back and look at verse 1. Look at that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So what's the deal if you want to be one of Christ's sheep? Enter in by the door. Enter in by Christ, as many as received him. It's as simple as that. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. What are we talking about there? Thieves and robbers. We have an example of this in Acts chapter 5. There's other people coming along trying to lead the, the Israelites. Um, Peter and John and the other apostles are in, are in trouble in Acts chapter 5. And when they heard that, they were cut to their heart what Peter just said. Then there stood up one in the council and see, this is almost always bad, named Gamaliel. Now, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel when he learned as a Pharisee and as a person keeping the law, tribe of Benjamin, all that stuff. A doctor of the law had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. All right, hold back. Don't stone them yet. And he said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days ro rose up Thutis, boasting himself, Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, for if this counsel or work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily... Uh, you'd be found to fight against God. And they agreed, and they called the apostles and beat them and commanded them that they should speak in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so you have Theodos and Judas. Theodos and Judas. So when Jesus says, um, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, 
and the sheep did not hear them. It'd be people like that coming up, trying to lead the Israelites, maybe some of them claiming to be the Messiah, and they are in fact not God-ordained people who should be leading. Now listen to this. I am the door. See, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. By me, if any man, any man, any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That is how to become a sheep of his fold. Calvinists will say you can't turn from a goat into a sheep. There are no goats here. There are no goats here. There are sheep of different folds. What do you want to do? You want to enter in by the door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ is the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. That's how you become a sheep of his fold instead of a sheep of somebody else's fold or with no shepherd like Jesus saw lost people. You can become his. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So whenever Calvinists are quoting all these other verses, like verse 15 and verse 26, always bring them back to chapter, uh, to verse 9. If any man enter in. They say a goat can't become a sheep. We're not talking about goats becoming sheep. We're talking about sheep becoming his, becoming Christ's. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for what? His sheep? No, 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 no. The good shepherd giveth his life for the the sheep. Which sheep? The sheep. Are you a sheep? Christ gave his life for you in this analogy. But he that is an hireling, so the Calvinist, I was a Calvinist was commenting on our videos recently. And he was trying to say that, you know, he gave eternal life only to the ones that he gave his life for. That's not, no, he gives eternal life to these guys. He, gives, he dies for all the sheep. He gives his life for all the sheep. But he gives eternal life, later in the chapter, to those who enter in and are saved. That's who gets eternal life. Those are the ones who are saved. Okay, Not the ones he died for. Calvinists confuse. They think that Christ dying for someone also saves them. There's not any verse in any Bible, in any language, in any version that ever said that. Never said that. Um, you want to be saved? You have to enter in by the door. That's how to be saved. He died, he gave his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. Well, who would these, these guys be? Well, maybe that would be like Theodos or Judas of Galilee. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am, this is Jesus talking here, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Wouldn't you want to be one of his sheep? How do you get to be one of his sheep? Well, you need to enter in by the door. That's, that's all you got to do. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Just enter in by Jesus Christ. That's how you become one of his sheep. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep? No, the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. All the sheep. The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now here he does not identify who this other fold is. And so everyone wants to pipe in and say, well, that's the Gentiles. Well, that's, that's the elect that we've never heard of before, the Calvinists will say. 
at um, it could be the Neoplatonists, okay? It could be, or the Platonists. Um, interest, I heard some interesting information about Decapolis, where Jesus was from around the area of Galilee recently. There are people who say that Jesus went and studied Zen Buddhism or Buddhism during his 18 silent years that we don't hear anything about, which they're not really silent. I mean, and then there are people, there's another perspective that there's a lot of, you know, he grew up in a Hellenized place of Israel, which he did. And that some of that, and a lot of, if you hear what a lot of the people in that time say about sin and the logos and whatnot, it sounds a lot like what's going on in John here. So that's very interesting. So it could be like Heraclitus has been talking about the logos since before Socrates. Okay. And so then the Logos makes its way through Heraclitus and Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And then Alexander the Great Hellenizes the whole world with these concepts. Okay. Remember, Socrates was put to death for what he believed. They weren't exactly popular when they were coming out. And so it could be that, and then John exapted the concept of the Logos when he wrote John, in the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the word was God. The Logos was God. So everyone would have been, everyone in the Hellenized culture would have been familiar with the Logos from Heraclitus up through these guys. And then when Jesus Christ shows up, John is saying, this is it. So just as the Old Testament is preparing the Jew for Christ's arrival, it also looks like um, there are some Greek thinkers where the Holy Spirit is moving and putting ideas in people's head, which is also preparing them for the arrival of the Logos in the flesh. And something like that. I laid. I have sheep which are not of this fold. So these people who are following the concept of the Logos elsewhere and simply hadn't heard about Christ, you could kind of see them as Jews who were following Jehovah um, elsewhere without, without yet having heard about Jesus Christ. And then once they tie the two together, it's like it's all pointing back toward the person of Jesus Christ, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, I'm braced for all the accusations of heresy that I know are coming my way, and I frankly do not care. I absolutely do not care. <clears throat> I don't know if y'all know this, but after you pass the age of 40, you stop caring what other people think, and you're just, inter you're just genuinely interested in what's true. And I'm glad to be on that side of that, on this side of that transition. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Now, who, when he says he laid down his life for the sheep, there's not, nothing exclusive there. All the people are compared to sheep in this passage. And Jesus sees people who are unsaved as sheep without a shepherd, not as goats. So when you look through the Bible, you see passages like <clears throat> Christ died for all. That if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. He died for all. First John 2, 2. He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John 2, 2. First Timothy 2, 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see... Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, you couldn't, you couldn't mistake that if you stayed up all night with a mistaking machine, but some people do, okay? Now, it looks like we got somebody in the comment quoting Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30. We have videos on that, okay? 
on the channel. So I recommend that you, yeah, exactly. Predestination is nothing like you were told. So we have videos on Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30. We also have videos on predestination. We have videos on, on foreknowledge of these things, okay? So go look up that, um, those verses. <laughs> I don't know what, uh, no, Kevin is not a universalist. Peter W. said, is Kevin a universalist? So what I'm going to do now, because it looks like we have some more Calvinists in here, I'm going to go back. We're on slide 18 here. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read this. Beyond the Fundamentals does not promote or agree with Arminianism, Pelagianism, Universalism, Synergism, Monergism, or any other ideological label to which Calvinists attempt to map their theological opponents. We also do not hold free will as an axiomatic premise, nor do we worship ourselves or think that we save ourselves. We completely support biblical predestination and biblical election while rejecting Augustinian and Gnostic perversions of these concepts. We have, <laughs> we have over 250 videos on Calvinism, so make sure you go read up or listen to those before you start commenting on something that we have already covered elsewhere and the stuff that we cover. I didn't even show this, did I? And the stuff that we cover is not from a typical non-Calvinist perspective. We have a fresh perspective on things. And just in case you missed this, now that I have it displayed and forgot to a second ago, we do not promote, agree with Arminianism, Pelagianism, Universalism, Synergism, Monergism, or any other ideological label to which Calvinists attempt to match the theological opponents. Da, da, da. We don't hold free will as an axiomatic premise. We don't worship ourselves or think that we save ourselves. And we completely support biblical predestination and biblical election while rejecting Augustinian and Gnostic perversions of those concepts. So for those of you Calvinists who are new in the chat down there, bear these things in mind. Okay. Now we're going to go to Acts chapter 10, verse 19 through 31. Now after what Jesus said in verse 18, John 10, 18, No man taketh it from me, I lay down my life of myself, and I have power to take it up again. Now we're going to Acts 10, 19 through 31. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews. What do you call somebody that causes division? You, what is a, a you call them a heretic. That's what that, that's what that is. It's a, a heretic is a person who causes division. Jesus often was what they would consider to be the establishment of that day would consider to be a heretic. So people who, when a Calvinist asks you if you're a universalist, they are confusing Christ dying for somebody for Christ saving somebody. Why? Because they have a problem with kindergarten level English. That's why. All right. Dying for somebody and saving somebody, they, they're, they're different words. They sound different. They're spelled different. They have different definitions and they look different. Okay. And therefore, so there's a division and many of them said he hath a devil and he is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Now notice where they're going here. They notice that the words, they are judging the words, which are propositions. On this channel, we talk about the four kinds of knowing. Propositional knowing, procedural knowing, perspectival knowing, participatory knowing, which is the deepest kind, and the rest stem out from there in the reverse order that I listed them. Can a devil do what? Now they're using a procedural and participatory language here, okay? Because in chapter 9, Jesus just got through healing. Now, if you're a Calvinist, the guy healed himself. But if you're a Bible believer, Jesus just got through healing the blind guy uh, when he went and washed, put mud in his eyes, and he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. And now, so they are using procedural and participatory language to interpret the propositions that are coming out of his mouth,
That is the proper order in which to do things. Words must point toward the other three kinds of knowing. Propositional knowing must point toward the other three kinds of knowing in order for it to have any validity and not just be knowledge that puffs up. Okay, Knowledge that puffs up is propositions that don't point to anything real. The real kinds of knowing are participatory, perspectival, and procedural. So Jesus has procedural and participatory things to which his words point, and that's what validates him in the eyes of people. That is very crucial to get that, okay? Um, can, so can the can a devil open the eyes of a blind of the blind? And the, it's a rhetorical question. The answer would be no. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, it was winter, and Jesus walked into the temple of Solomon's porch, and came the Jews. Then came the Jews around about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly? <laughs> and uh, Jesus answered unto them, I told you, and ye believe not. He's very clear. He has told them very clearly in John chapter 5 and John chapter Eight, that he is the son of God and he is sent by the father, all this stuff. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. What, what is he saying? In order, instead of just giving you words and propositions, the works that he does, the procedural and participatory and witnessed perspectival aspects, that is what bears witness. That is the basis on which they need to believe not just a bunch of empty words. Anybody can walk around saying I'm the Christ. And that would mean nothing if you don't have perspectival, procedural, participatory knowledge to back that up. That, that would have to point to something, okay? And so what Jesus is doing is he is presenting the other three kinds of knowing as the basis for the proposition that he is the Christ. And they have to connect that, okay? He can't just be this empty thing like, I'm a man, but I'm calling myself a woman, even though you don't agree those that proposition matches with what you see. Um, you just have to do it anyway. He doesn't want that kind of confusion going on. He wants, based on the common cultural grammar of the day, he wants them to see the works and them to arrive at the proposition that he is the Christ. It's important that things happen in that order, and that is a, that is a great tip for witnessing to people. Okay, and we tend to start with the propositions, and that is not a good way to do things. What you need to do is you need to lead people to arrive at the propositions for themselves, okay? When you're doing your personal evangelism work, work with people and get them, get them to arrive at the propositions themselves. Don't start with the propositions, right? So Jesus is using the works, the works that I do in my Father's name. I don't know what just happened there, but we're undoing it. The works that I do. So he is using the other three kinds of knowing to get them to arrive at the propositional level. He's not starting with the propositions. That's key. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Now, of course, the Calvinist Gnostics are going to run with this, because they have this whole elect and non-elect thing in the Gnostic sense, all right? But that's not what's going on here. We're going to look at John chapter 5 and John chapter 8 in a minute. And we're going to see that what's everybody in the audience here, which is Pharisees, by the way, they are all claiming to follow Jehovah. Well, Jesus is the next capitulation, is the next iteration of what Jehovah has to offer the Israelites. 
And if you were following Jehovah, you would recognize that. So what Jesus is saying is, what he's saying here is a carryover from chapter 5. He's basically saying you're not following Jehovah in the first place. You don't believe Moses. You're not Abraham's kids, at least not, or offspring, not spiritually. He said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep, not sheep versus goats, but my sheep. In other words, sheep of my fold. Those who have done what? Those who have entered in by the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Those people hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them, by the way, it's not just the propositional knowing. It's the procedural, perspectival, and participatory knowing of Christ that they know his sheep. They know him. And I give unto them. Who does he give? The ones he died for? No. No. So let's go back. That's slide number 20. A Calvinist will try to say, look, all the ones that he died for get eternal life. No. They don't all get eternal life. Only the ones who come in by the door get eternal life. Jesus died for all the sheep, but not all the sheep get eternal life. Only the ones who enter in by the door, Jesus Christ. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Well, the ones who don't enter in by the door, they don't get saved. What does that mean? That means I'm not a universalist because not everybody gets saved because you have to enter in by the door to get saved. Did I say that? Jesus said that. And if you have a problem with that, you got a problem with Jesus, not me. All right? And I give unto them. Who's the them? My sheep. Not the ones he died for, but the ones who entered in by the door, which he also died for. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him again. And now we're going to look at the rest of the chapter a little bit later. Now, But I want to compare something out of chapter 5. And I apologize if the, if the font here is too small. I'm going to scroll down. Wow, there's a lot of comments here. Y'all try not getting testy with each other, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We are literally having a Bible lesson on Saturday afternoon, and we have a Calvinist coming in telling us to repent and believe Jesus. <laughs> no, more like repent and believe Calvin. That's exactly right. We are promoting what Jesus says here. And if you don't like what Jesus says, uh, tough apples. We're going to go with what Jesus says here. John chapter 10, verse 25 through 27. Now, I know this font, this is a little bit smaller, and I apologize for that. But I wanted to put all this on one slide because what, what Jesus says in verse 29, 25 through 27. Now, the rest of this comes from John chapter 5. All that right there comes from John chapter 5. Okay, This is to compare John chapter 10, verse 25 through 27, where he says, But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, if you are keeping John chapter 5... In working memory, you will not walk away from John chapter 10 as a Gnostic. But if you get your your attention diverted from Scripture toward Calvinistic Gnosticism, then you might think John chapter 10 is ta is promoting um, Gnosticism, okay? Which it is not. So let's look at what John chapter 5 says. Let's pretend that we are keeping John chapter 5 in working memory before we get to chapter 10. 
John chapter 5, for the Father, I'm in verse 22 here. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men, some men, elect men, some of every kind, some of every tongue, tribe, race, and all that stuff, kindred, tongue, and tribe, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. You see that? Why don't they hear the voice of Jesus? Because they're not following the Father in the first place. That's the problem. People claiming to be Jews. It'd be like if you're talking to a bunch of Mormons. And the reason they don't understand the words of Jesus is because they're following something false in the name of Jesus. That's why they're not following what's true. All right? It's the same idea. It's religious people. It's religious people who are using the same kind of language as people who are following God in spirit and in truth, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, but they in fact are not. If they were following the Father, they would be worshiping the Son as well. To be following, so that's the reason right there. They're not legitimately Jews in the first place. Okay, <clears throat> trying to look at some of these comments down here. <clears throat> well, if you could hear God's word, you're elect. I'm going to show you a slide in a few minutes that shows a bunch of words that Calvinists don't hear that are directly from God. So they must not be elect. It's the funny thing about Calvinism is that um, reprobation and total depravity, I think Calvinists might be the only people who are totally depraved and reprobate. They might be the only ones because they're the only ones who just cannot grasp what Scripture clearly says. Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Who's that? That's the Father Jehovah. He that heareth my word, so, and believeth on him that sent me. So you're already a Jew, you're already believing Jehovah the Father, and then Jesus comes along, and you hear Jesus' word, they have everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now verse, uh, this I included because it doesn't jive with Calvinism at all. Ask any Calvinist what the plan of salvation is, and now look at what look at what Jesus says here. This is interesting. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, where is that the plan of salvation anywhere else you ever heard anywhere? Isn't that interesting? John 5, 37 through 47. I just think it's interesting for Calvinists to talk about that. Somebody's asking if people are elect in here. Remember, election in the Bible is to service, not to salvation, okay? It is a uh, <laughs> is a buzzword that from stuff like, from nonsense like this that causes Calvinists to not be able to understand. They're not able to receive the things of the Spirit of God because somebody else is selecting their relevance landscape for them rather than God doing it. John 5, 37-47, The Father himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. So that's their problem. They're supposed to be following Jehovah, Old Testament style, and they've never heard his voice. That's why they don't recognize the voice of the shepherd when Jesus shows up. And ye have not his word abiding in you. That's why they don't recognize Jesus when he shows up. They're not genuinely what they claim to be. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. So if they were genuinely following God, 
the Father, Jehovah, Old Testament style, and had his word abiding in them, then they would also follow Jesus when he shows up. That's why they don't hear his voice. That's why they don't follow him. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Scriptures that they had at the time were Old Testament, not even New Testament yet. And he's saying that that testifies of me. So the shepherd in the Old Testament, Jehovah, is leading the way out before them, pointing to Christ. And they aren't following that, otherwise they would recognize Christ when he shows up. And notice here in John chapter 5, verse 40, And you will not come to me that ye might have life. Notice the order there. You come to Christ in order to have life. That is the order in which things happen. You don't get life and then come to Christ as a result like the Gnostics Calvinists teach. You come to me, come to me that ye might have life. God saves those that believe. He does 100, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. He does 100% of the saving, but he only does it for those who believe. You have to come to Christ first. Jesus said, I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. That's why they don't understand him in John chapter 10. I am come in my father's name and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, you will him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? So they are not seeking honor from God. They're, they're going about to establish their own righteousness. They're not following Jehovah of the Old Testament as they should be doing. Um, Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. If ye had believed Moses, ye would have believed me. So what's he saying? You don't believe Moses. That's why you don't believe me. That's why you believe not. Why? Let's word it in terms of John chapter 5. You believe not because you're not of my sheep. You believe not because you're not following the Father in the first place. You believe not because you don't believe Moses. You believe not because you're not following Jehovah in the first place. You're not following the Father. If ye had believed Moses ye would have believed me. Okay? You believe not because you're not of my sheep. If they were following Moses, that's the condition there. It's conditional. For he wrote to me, but if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So Moses' writings are a prerequisite pointing to Christ. Like Deuteronomy uh, 18.15, that prophet, art thou that prophet? You know, they asked John the Baptist in John chapter 1. No, Jesus is. All right? There are five... The John 5 has a critical point, and let me sum all this up for you. And the critical point in John 5 is, if you were genuinely following the Father, Jehovah, then you would recognize and follow his Son. If you do not recognize and follow God's Son, then you weren't following God in the first place. The fact that this is being spoken to Jews who already claim to be following God is crucial. In other words, this kind of language, John chapter 10 up here, ye believe not because you're not of my sheep, you don't say this to Gentiles who are atheists and who aren't claiming to follow God in the first place. This only makes sense to people who are claiming to already be following God. That's the only audience to whom this would make sense. This is not for Gentiles in 2022, okay? So then they weren't following, if you don't recognize and follow God's son, then you weren't following God in the first place. The fact that this is being spoken to Jews who already claimed to be following God is crucial. There is no point in saying this to people who aren't already claiming to follow God. Okay, so this, John 10, 26, that is not the reason that Gentiles who reject the gospel from you reject it. That's not the reason, not because they're not sheep. That's not why they reject it. Why do they reject it? I don't know. Maybe go read Acts 17.
You'll find answers there. I'm looking at some of these comments. Is this mostly an anti-Calvinist site? We are a pro-Bible site. That's what this is. We just think the Bible's true. That's it. So when we reject Calvinism, the only reason we reject it is because we think the Bible is true. That's the only thing going on there. If you look at John 10, 26 and 15, the Bible over here on the left says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Um, the Calvinist version is, But ye cannot believe, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. That's what the Calvinists believe. That's not what the text says. See? The, the reason they don't believe is because they're not sheep in the first place, because they're not following Jehovah whom they claim to be. And they're looking, they're pointed, they're on a trajectory that is not going in the direction of Christ already. Right? They're not in explore mode. Nothing like that. So the Calvinists essentially see John 10.26 as saying this. You say, what's the NSV? That's the non-scriptural version. Okay? Famous Calvinist Bible. Get it today before while supplies last. Okay? John 10.15 says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What the Calvinist sees is, in the, in the non-scriptural version, what they see when they read that, because they insert their Gnosticism into it, as the, their, their Augustinian Manachian Gnosticism causes them to make different things salient, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life only and exclusively for my sheep and for no others. That's what the Calvinist sees there. They do the negative inference fallacy. You know, like where Paul said, who gave himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. If they interpret this the same way they would, if they inter interpret Galatians 2.20 the same way they interpret this, you would walk away saying that Christ only died for Paul and for nobody else. So I have this kind of diagram here. If you have the line of truth up here, Moses, God, the line of truth is God through Moses, through Jesus. The reason they don't believe Jesus is because they're down here on this tangent of false belief. They got Talmud, they got Rome and political expediency, they're Pharisees, they got all these things going on. Okay? Um... <laughs> Uh, down here is another example. The line of truth would be Jesus in the Bible for people today claiming to be Christians. And then you have the voice of the shepherd. Now, I made this original slide in 2018, so it's 2022, so this is four years old. But the tangent of belief of today people who claim to be God's sheep but can't hear his voice, in this case, would be Calvinist. Gnosticism, Manichaeism, and Calvinism. This is why they don't believe the Bible. This is why you have... Even people who are uh, Calvinists in the chat right now, they don't believe the Bible because they're on the wrong tangent, and that's why they can't hear the words of Scripture, and that's why they don't believe Jesus Christ. See, my church is London Baptist Confession, 1689. My church is Holy Bible, 1611. Big difference. See, they're following men. They're following the writings of men. You know, that's... Um, instead of... If you believe Moses, you believe me. If you believe the Bible, you believe what Jesus says. They don't believe the Bible. He's following the writings of men. London Baptist Confession is written by men. All right, And uh, Calvinism is the most man-exalting version of Christianity that exists. And they worship and venerate and adore men. Men. They, they take the writings of men over and above Scripture 
in every single instance of their distinctives. Every single one, no exceptions. No exceptions to that at all. John ten thirty two through 42. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For, the, for which of those works do you stone me? Because remember, they're trying to stone him. And uh, the Jew, now notice it's back to the works. It's, it's procedural, perspectival, and participatory knowing, not just a proposition. Because propositions can be empty. Anybody can claim to be anything, but like, look, I'm showing you the real goods here. Okay. And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. So, you know, they got clever answers. And Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of the God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, that thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? So this is a very interesting thing, tying back into Psalm 89. And they're like, what do I do with this? I don't know. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, notice this, my word, like the propositions, Propositional knowing is just the currency of the real kinds of knowing. Though you believe not me, believe the works. Believe the procedural, perspectival, participatory things that I'm doing. That what? That ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So if we go back to John 10, 26, he said, you believe not because you're not of my sheep. He is very obviously inviting them to become one of his sheep. Believe. He's asking them to believe, and all they have to do is believe. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, and he went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him. Now we don't know what the makeup of that is. We don't know who this many is, um, and whether or not they were of the same Pharisees that were about to stone him. And said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. So John issued out propositions. Jesus had the participatory, perspectival, and procedural knowledge to back up John the Baptist's propositions. And that's what's count. That's, that's, uh, that's real knowledge, not, not knowledge that puff, puffs up. And many believed on him there. See, there's, they became. They they took this in invitation to believe. Yes, his works do match up. I'm Part of me, I can't prove this, but I tend to think that some of the many that resorted unto him were this part of this crowd that was trying to stone him. And while they're all trying to stone him, something called, and I plan to talk about this tomorrow morning at 11, de-individuation, when they stone Paul, this de-individuation thing comes on because you will do things in a group that you would not do individually. Like face-to-face, -face, I would not stone an individual. But if there's a crowd, we'll act as a group and I'll become part of that crowd and do things that I would never do as an individual. And it could be that once these people broke away from the group, from the in-group that they were in, that they came and reconsidered and they're like, I think I am going to believe on him because of the works. All right? Um. Anyway, the text doesn't say that, but that's just kind of where I am on it, and that's uh, my deal. Later on, we do know that a bunch of Pharisees believed. There are believing Pharisees who aren't considered heretics or anything else. They're just believe. later on in the book of Acts. And so we know that the dialogue there in John 10 is taking place with Pharisees. 
John 8. This is important. Then said they unto him. Now, bear in mind, you're supposed to be bearing this in mind as you get to John chapter 10. All right, we're a little, hmm, looking at the time over here. Where, uh, and they said unto him, where is thy father? And Jesus said, you neither know me nor my father. If he had known me, he should have known my father also. In other words, and also the reciprocal, if you would have known the father, then you would recognize me. And so if you take that back to John 10, 26, the reason they don't believe him is because they're not, they didn't believe the father in the first place. That's what he means is because you're not my sheep. And Jesus said to them, John 8, 42 through 47, If God were your father, ye would love me. What's he saying? God is not their father. Who would that apply to? Somebody who was already claiming and professing that God is their father. That's who that would apply to. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he's, he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? All right? Ye are of your father, the devil. And I do not recommend weaponizing this and using it against people here. But this shows you where what he's dealing with by the time he gets over to chapter 10. And the less of your father you will do, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, and he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God, in other words, he that would have been following Jehovah in accordance with the Old Testament and Moses, heareth God's words. What Jesus, what I'm showing up to say, is what Jesus would be saying. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. You don't hear me because you're not following Jehovah in the first place. You believe not because you're not of my sheep. It's another way to say the exact same thing. They're not following Jehovah in the first place. And so, interestingly, uh, Calvinists like to quote this kind of thing. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you're not of God. They like, they like to say that because you don't hear Calvinism that you're not one of his sheep. You no, know, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. All right, so I made this little slide years ago. And it basically takes John 10, 26. I know it's kind of busy, but I'm going to talk you through it. It basically takes John 10, 26, the big blue letters, but ye believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Well, let's look at who's not believing, okay? Behold the Lamb of God who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. Okay? Why don't they believe? Because they're not his sheep. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who doesn't believe that? Who doesn't believe those words? Calvinists don't believe those words. Why don't they? Because they're not his sheep. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, who doesn't believe those words? Calvinists don't believe those words. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. We are trusting in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Who doesn't believe those words? Calvinists don't believe them. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? 
That was that true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, very clearly says twice that Christ died for all. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. Why not? Because they're not his sheep. Which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of the God up here. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I have that one broken up. Who doesn't believe that the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world? Calvinists don't believe that. Uh, why not? Because they're not his sheep. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Who doesn't believe that? Calvinists don't believe that. So when Calvinists run around and start trying to quote to you things like, He that is of God heareth God's words, they're, they're thinking he hearing Calvinism. If you reject Calvinism, you're rejecting God's word. No, we're rejecting London Baptist Confession 1689, which is not scripture, which is written by man. We're rejecting men. Okay? So we have a super chat. I want to thank, thanks to Manny Jones for the super chat. Pair character jumping up and down saying number one fan. I don't know what that means, but uh, thanks for the super chat. There's a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics. And I actually, you know, he's a, he's a Calvinist. Greg Kokel is a Calvinist. And I actually recommend some of Greg Kokel's stuff because of what he covers. Yes, I have the capacity to recommend people that I disagree with in limited capacities. Okay. But notice he's talking about John 10, 26, and he, many Calvinists do this, and I'm just showing you one place where it's written down that they do this, okay? But ye believe not, it takes John 10, 26 to 27, but ye believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So Tactics is a, is a book about how to witness to people and how to witness strategically, okay? And use tactics, I guess. So he says, this is a quote from him out of this book. This has a very practical application for evangelism, speaking of John 10, 26 and 27, because it helps explain something you might have encountered in conversations with others. Have you ever noticed that sometimes your comments seem to fall on deaf, and ear, deaf ears, and yet at other times they seem profitable? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense because that happens to any salesman you ever heard. You ever, you ever see those guys that are out there trying to, uh, you walk into Best Buy and there's somebody trying to sell the, the local internet provider, AT&T or Cox or uh, Comcast, something like that, and it mostly falls on deaf ears, but every once in a while they get somebody? You, you want to blame that on something spiritual? No, that's just, that's just how presenting something goes, no matter what it is. That's just how it goes. There's no spiritual reason for that. And it's superstitious to think that there is. Okay, I know, I know... The Calvinists like to say, they like to blame it on things. They've got a persecution complex and they think they're doing the right thing and that because of, you know, 1 Corinthians 2.14 and Romans 8, 7 through 8, that's why they're just not getting it. But no. Now notice the contradiction here. He says, when I share my faith, his wife's name is Kathy, at least when he wrote this. I don't know what the deal is now. When I share my faith, Kathy told me, I pay attention to how the sheep respond. Well, how do you know who the sheep are? And by the way, the sheep, 
Most will keep on eating grass, but once in a while you'll notice that some lift their heads. There's a moment of recognition as they hear the shepherd's voice. And this is presented like those who hear the shepherd's voice, those are the sheep. But then look what he says next. Now the text is, if you are the sheep, you'll hear my voice, right? He goes on to say, we can be alert for those sheep that hear Jesus' voice and lift their heads without troubling those who are what? Not yet ready. You know what the Calvinist the the Calvinist interpretation of John 10 does not account for. It does not account for Calvinists who have heard the gospel multiple times before they wound up getting saved. There's a very outspoken Calvinist who has his own website, Brand Plucked, and so I think I can use his name on here, Will Kenny. He admits to having heard the gospel multiple times before he got saved. Now, he has a John 10, 26, 27 reason for why some people hear the gospel and don't respond. But why is it that some Calvinists hear the gospel if they are sheep, if they're elect from before the foundation of the world, why don't they hear the voice of the shepherd the first 12 times they hear the gospel? Why is that? Because their reason for everybody else rejecting it is that they're not sheep, that there's something else. Why do they reject it the first few times? We'll say, well, they're not ready. Where's your verse for that? You don't have one. Where's the verse for that? People either reject because they're not sheep or what? Well, it turns out that you're just out of context and you're wrong. They, the people who aren't believing because they aren't sheep, it's just Jews, professing Jews, who are professing to be following Jehovah, who actually are not. That is the only people to whom that would apply. And it might also apply to somebody who's professing to be a Christian, but actually is not. Okay, like a, I'm not saying that Calvinists aren't Christians per se, but that would account for, if they want to use that reasoning, somebody who's claiming to be a Christian, but is not actually believing or following the words of Christ or the words of Scripture, when someone claims to be a Christian, but this has a higher priority than this, it kind of makes you scratch your head. I don't think so. I mean, you're not you're not doing the same thing that I'm doing. If God chooses to save someone, is he wrong? God saves those that, that believe. Is that wrong? Okay, Calvinists think that's wrong. That's the deal. The deal isn't any of these hypothetical questions. The deal is what does Scripture say? So what do we do when we talked in this video? We had some key points. There are no goats in John chapter 10, nor in the entire book of John. John 10 is about sheep of different folds, not sheep and goats. Goats are only at the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. People are never referred to as goats, only nations are. And the criteria for them being separated from the sheep is how they treated the Jew during the tribulation, not whether or not they received Christ. Jesus sees lost people as, as not as goats, but as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus lays his life down for the sheep, not just his own sheep. Jesus gives eternal life to the sheep of his fold. John 1 through 9 is expected to be retained in working memory before reading chapter 10. John 1 gives the tenor of the book. There's a light that lights every man and receiving Christ as the door is the threshold of entry into being a son of God and into being in the fold in God's sheepfold and Christ's sheepfold. John 20, 30 through 31 gives the tenor of the book. Look that up. John 17, 19 through 21 gives the tenor of the book. Um, that the whole world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's what Jesus prays for. All right? John 5, 
contains the pre-statements that set the stage and tone of John 10. Um, so we looked at John chapter 5. So it's important that you see context and Calvinism never ever go together, not one single time ever. John 8 also sets the tone for John chapter 10. John 9 comes before John chapter 10 and should be considered for context and meaning. And what we don't want to do, we don't want to bring Calvinistic Gnostic tone into John 10 because that's disruptive to the context of the book of John. We want to look at the context of the book of John first. Okay. Somebody asked in the chat, and I do want to say this because I don't know how many Calvinists we have, but remember, we do not, beyond the fundamentals, we do not promote or agree with Arminianism, Pelagianism, Universalism, Synergism, Monergism, or any other ideological label to which Calvinists attempt to map their theological opponents. We also do not hold free will as an axiomatic premise, nor do we worship ourselves or think that we save ourselves. We completely support biblical predestination and biblical election while rejecting Augustinian and Gnostic perversions of these concepts. Why do I keep saying this over and over again? Because there's so many new Calvinists that join who just don't get it, okay? Who just don't get it. And so you gotta get that. I want you, I want to engage with you if you're a Calvinist, but I want to engage, I want you to engage in good faith and with knowledge of where I'm coming from, not just running a script, an Autobot non non-player character NPC script against something that you think I am, which I'm not. Okay? So engage me as a person for what I actually believe. Now let's look at some of these chats over here. Did Saul believe prior to becoming Paul? Well, Saul is called Paul in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, and his conversion account takes place in Acts chapter 9. So I would say that there's like almost there's at least three chapters there worth of time where he's believing before he called Paul. But he did pray before he received the Holy Ghost, Acts 9, 11, I think it is. Um, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't know his name, but this and another LOS channel. The discussion reminds me a little bit like a college football rivalry back and forth. <laughs> Let's see. I like the tactics book, but find signal versus noise is important. Yes. So a lot of noise in the tactics book, but there is some signal in there as well. And, I, you know, if I were to read it now, I might have a dis different opinion on that as well. I might, I might cut the ratio a lot more th um, a lot more thinly on the signal side um, let me see what we got here Jesus said that in Matthew children of the devil well why aren't they his sheep um, there's lots of reasons why they aren't they're following they are claiming to follow the Old Testament they're claiming to be Jews following Jehovah in accordance with Moses but they're not believing Moses they're under a lot of political pressure and they have uh, the freedom to kind of practice Judaism as long as they keep the Roman authorities happy. And it seems that there's enough compromise there to where that it's kind of impossible to do both. Um, can goats be converted to sheep? We've covered this many times. There are no goats in John chapter 10. It's sheep of different folds. Jesus looks at sheep, as at lost people, as sheep without a shepherd, not as... Not as goats. They were sheep having, uh, they were as sheep not having a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees lost people. They are sheep without a shepherd. What else do we have here? Uh, Greg Cuckoo. Uh, um, I don't necessarily want to make fun of somebody just based on how their name sounds. We can find better reasons to make fun of them. 
Uh, I love all my wayward brothers in Christ. I can bring myself to fellowship with you fellows. Um, yeah, we love the wayward Calvinists too. Um, to be in fellowship with us? No, you would have to do what we're doing. We are not trying to semantically disambiguate Scripture to arrive at propositional conclusions. We are trying to interface with Scripture as a means of transformation. We're trying to do so in good faith, not being ideologically possessed and not being beholden to the writings of man like the 1689 London Baptist Confession. So if, if you are beholden, to, if, if you can't come earnestly and in good faith, and if you are beholden to the 1689, you're not doing what we're trying to do. And you're not in fellowship with us. So we invite you to come in fellowship with us, but you're going to have to shed some things like dung, like Paul did, and you're going to have to follow Christ in accordance with the book. You're going to have to approach Scripture as an interface for transformation to become in the image of Christ, not follow men. And if you're not trying to do that, you're not in fellowship with us. All right? Uh, KJB sleeper agents. If God cho chooses to save someone, is he wrong? I think we already looked at looked at that one. God saves those that believe. I want to show this verse to you real quick in First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-one. Um, this is where God suddenly loses his sovereignty, as far as some people are concerned. For after that, I'm in First Corinthians one twenty-one. I might need to um, give this a little bit of a wider berth here, so people can see these numbers. Trying to move that out. Trying to be, trying to be more visually user friendly here. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God saves them that believe. So that's how God chooses to save people. So is that uh, can't God choose to say? Yeah, He can, and that's how He does it. If He cho He chooses to save them that believe. That's what pleases God, right? Aren't you in favor of what pleases God? How does he save those that believe? In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it's not by dying for them because he died for all and all aren't saved. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By dying for us? No. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Well, who does he do that for? Simple. Those that believe. He does that for those who believe. Okay, so God saves those that believe. Uh, there's a lot of mystery in the way the Lord works salvation in different ways in different people's lives. Okay, um, Calvinists tend to resort to mystery when they simply need reasons to not believe the Bible while they're believing in a paradigm that contradicts the Bible. Um, does Saul believe prior to becoming Paul? We already looked at that one. It's a typical Reformed response. How he chooses to save is not a mystery. The Bible says how he chooses to save us and no offense. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, he saves those that believe. It's very simple. Um, do we have anything new down here? If you aren't listening to the scriptures being read and looking at it in the comments, you will not hear me. <laughs> there's another way of saying that. Uh, there's a lot of mystery in how he works salvation. Now, he saves those that believe. Uh, thanks for reading the chat. Thanks for the super chat. Very much appreciated. Maybe we should start calling them tulip tulipians. Seems that, that would be more difficult to try to wiggle out of. That's very interesting. You know, Calvinists are always playing a they are always playing a word game. And so if you have a Calvinist pastor who's a stealth Calvinist, they will get they will try to avoid the label Calvinist while be while believing what they call the doctrines of grace, while believing all the tulip. So that is that that's an important thing. It's not a it's not sufficient. 
If you have a pastor who you suspect is a Calvinist, it's not sufficient to ask them if they are a Calvinist because since they are a Calvinist, it is implicit that they are also unethical. Okay, So they're going to lie about it if they're a stealth Calvinist. So you need to ask other sets of questions in order to get at the heart of that. We have one, a video called Do This Now, How to Prevent Stealth Calvinism at Your Church, and we actually have a resolution you should adopt. And if you go through there and have people sign that, you cannot have somebody who is any kind of lying Calvinist stay uh, or become a leader at your church. So make sure you go look at that information and shoot me a message if you need me to show you where that is because it's well worth doing. Um, you are leading and still ignored the scripture for over a half hour. Uh, I think that's talking to somebody else in the chat. Did Saul believe Jesus Christ was Lord before becoming Paul? That would be a good observation question, which I would invite anybody to look into. I would suspect no, but that would be an observation question to ask the text. What theology book are you holding up? I am holding up a systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. This guy's a Calvinist, and a lot of Calvinists self-admit to... Uh, cutting their teeth on this. I, a guy sent me a picture of this with a bullet from a 30 alt 6 or a 30-30 shot through it, and that is the best use for it. Okay. What else do we have? Oh, I'm not even showing the comments. Um, <laughs> yeah, what theology book are you holding up? We can't be ecumenical with other faiths, and Calvinism isn't Christian. Uh, just do. It's See, it's these other labels of faith, it's what you're doing. If you're trying to interface with Scripture in a way that transforms you into the image of Christ, that's what we're doing. And we fellowship with other people who are trying to do that in good faith. And if they're not trying to do that, if they're trying to like, uh, distill Scripture down to a set of semantically disambiguated propositions... That's not what we're trying to do, so we're not in fellowship with those people. And we're making no assessment on whether or not they're saved. That's not the point. Don't care whether or not they're saved. I mean, we do care whether or not they're saved, but that's not the basis of fellowship, okay? Um, what does Scripture say is synonymous with the line in the tire commercial, speaking of the tire quality, where is the, the rubber hits the road? I don't know what that is. That might be... Um, might be Somebody might be doing speech to text or something, say. Everybody is certainly seems to be singing from the same choir book here. Uh, this channel has been around for a little while. Um, so they probably get where we're coming from. The Wadester, welcome aboard. It should be called Systematic Destruction of Scriptural Authority. That's a great way to say that. Systematic Destruction of Scriptural Authority. Yeah, Pete, the hymn book is the Bible. There you go. I mean, we, there are some psalms in there. Is there a website where this material and slides are available? Yes. If you go to, uh, the slides are available at Etsy, and the link is in the description below in this video. If you open up the description, there is a link to where you can purchase these slides at Etsy. And if you go to, my website's out of date right now, but www.beyondthefundamentals.com where we have a lot of other resources that you can look at. And we are, I do have the new website about one third built right now. So we're working on that. Um, everyone says, God save me. God save me. Who's going to say he did not? Nobody. Okay. Um, Susan, he has an Etsy shop, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the link to this specific slideshow is in the description below this video. 
Um, but certain Christians get straw man for believing that they save themselves, but they too believe that God saved them. That's good. Yeah, that's a that's a Calvinist talking point to twist things around. Makes a great doorstop too, and a coaster. Yep. Sometimes I do set my coffee on this book too, but then I have to move it so that I can show it to these people. If God saves everyone, why isn't everyone saved? Uh, God is, doesn't save everyone. I saw something recently. I was looking things up on Facebook, and I saw where I think Leighton Flower. I did not hear Leighton say this, so this could be inaccurate. But I heard somebody say that Leighton Flower said that God is trying to do everything that he can to save everybody. No, God isn't trying to save everyone. God is, gave his life. He tasted death for every man, but he only tries to save those who believe. And not everyone believes. So that's, they're not saved. <laughs> oh, why did you believe, Andrew, but not others? Um, John, uh, Acts 17.11 answers that question. Wait, you believe in predestination? Yes, we believe in predestination as found in Scripture. In Scripture, saved people, not lost people. No lost people in Scripture are ever predestinated to be converted. But converted people are predestinated to, be, to the adoption, which is the redemption of the body, compare Romans 8.23, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29 through 30, and glorification, and to their inheritance, Ephesians 1, 11. Saved people are predestinated to those things. There are no lost people in Scripture that are predestinated to be converted. We have a video called Predestination is Nothing Like You Were Told. Uh, Manny Jones, he saves everyone who believes and not everyone believes. If I'm on the roof burning of a burning building and someone in a helicopter flies and throws me a rope, I'd never say I saved myself. Right. No Christian believes that they save themselves. Why did you choose to come into this live chat, but not others? <laughs> what made you believe Christ, yet others don't? See Acts 17.11. James White, ever send you any money for the website after scoffing at it? Not to my knowledge. Burn the systematic theology book. And uh, I will, along with the London Baptist Confession. What theology book would you recommend? This theology book is the only one that I would recommend. And I know that sounds like a tripe answer, and I'm not trying to be tripe. I'm just saying I don't think um, I don't think that theology I think theology books are more disorienting than they are helpful. They're they have more profanity in them than anything else. <clears throat> you see how determinism is automatically assumed in that question is evident from your last question, Manny Jones. Uh what are goats exactly? Uh, goats show up in Matthew chapter 25 as the nations, right? Goats are, are animals. And it's the, it's the judgment of the nations. And when the Son of Man comes to sit, comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit up on the throne of glory and before him shall be gathered all the nations. Notice it's nations. And he shall separate them one from another. Separate what? Nations. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he shall set the, set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. What are these? Nations. Then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation, from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. That's the criteria. I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. That's the criteria. It's not that you believed on me. It's these things. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, and all this stuff? When saw we a stranger, and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick, 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And the idea is, in the context, basically, they're looking at, you're looking at how the nations treat the Jews during the tribulation period. And an analogy to that would be how the nations would treat the Jewish refugees during something like the Holocaust. Because that was one-sixth as bad as what it's going to be in the tribulation period. Okay? <clears throat> so, that's where we're dealing with goats. And there are no goats in the book of John. Where are we now? Those that believe are those that are more noble character. Um, how about the rivalrous dynamic? They don't really want to discuss scripture. They want to entangle you. Yeah, it's, what they're doing is called sophistry. They have, a, they have a goal in mind. They're not earnest. They're not in explore mode. And they're trying to ask leading questions to try to trap people into things. And the Westminster Confession of Faith... Uh, KJV only, haha, <laughs> nice answer. All the confessions in J. Max study Bibles. That's pretty funny. To be more exact, the best theological book would be the KJB. Where the rubber hits the road is where the proof of the quality is determined, just like Scripture is where any truth in theology is revealed. And then, even though you, you anybody could say, see, what's a good theology book? Anybody can say, I have the Bible and I believe it's true. But there's so many different ways to interpret it as well. So what we're looking for out of the Bible is not semantically disambiguated propositions of what we think is true doctrine. What we're looking for is how can we interface with it in a way that transforms us into the image of Christ. That's what we're trying to do. And that's what debate can't do. If you're trying to get semantically disambiguated propositions out of the Bible, then you would think debate is a good thing. We had a, we had a guest on our show a couple nights ago, Chris Date, who loves debate. He likes to debate. That's because that's what he's aiming for. But if you're aiming to be transformed into the image of Christ, you can't, you can't be, you can't lack that kind of epistemic humility and also be transformed. Uh, the best theological, okay. How do you know that you're not chosen before the foundations, Kevin? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you mean by that. How do you know that you're not chosen? Um, what is chosen before the foundation of the world is that we should be holding without blame before him in love, in Christ. Chosen in Christ. Those in Christ should behave a certain way. Like Ephesians 2.10 is another way to say Ephesians 1.4. Okay? A Calvinist actually cannot know whether they're saved because they can't even know whether or not Christ died for them. Okay? And the only way they can think that they know that they're saved is by pointing to their own works and experience. Well, I know I'm saved because I have the witness of the Spirit. See, you're, you're, that's your experience. Because I believe that's your, that's your own faith, your own works, something you did, your experience. Calvinist doesn't have anything authoritative on which he can base his salvation. See, I know Christ died for me because I know Christ died for all because I believe this book. Calvinists don't believe this book. Therefore, they have no way to know whether or not Christ died for them. And they're going to wind up like R.C. Sproul, who had to look back on his performance to see if he was saved. <clears throat> um, I picked on that one. Uh, wasn't asking to prove a negative. Where did he say that? How do you know he wasn't chosen to believe? On the tulip, the rubber never. On the tulip, rubber never meets the road. Is it possible for those who entered the kingdom to be lost in the millennium and not saved then after? Um, that's. Uh, a detailed question. The short answer would be yes, but that's that's a detailed question. 
Calvinistic election is not found in the Bible. That's exactly right. How do you know your salvation wasn't determined before you were born? Um, I have nothing telling me it was. I have no reason. I have no reason to say it was. So if you say that it was, then you would have to find a basis for saying that, and there is no basis for saying that. No authoritative basis. Reform, reform theology. Ah, I got you, even though I'm wrong. <laughs> exactly right. Because we believe scriptures. Uh, answered in Acts 17.11. Yes. If they are saved before the foundation of the world, it actually took precedence over Christ dying for them. Think about that. Yes. That's exactly right. Um, there is no... Christ dying for anybody is an afterthought. It's not the good news for anybody. Whether or not you're elect is good news. If Christ died for all, then you know Christ died for you. But if he didn't die for all, then you have no way of knowing which uh, ones were died for. That's correct. Uh, for noble people, Pete, or all. Christ purchased all people. Yes, even the false prophets in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He gave assurance to all men, Acts 17.31. And that word for assurance in Acts 17.31 is the Greek word pistis, which is translated as faith and belief 239 times in your New Testament. Uh, like the LDS having a burning in their bosom. I don't see how it follows. All right. We've gone through the comments. A lot of comments. Taking a lot of time on the comments today. I usually don't take that many time, much time on the comments. But I had fun talking about... Uh, John chapter 10, it's been a lot of fun today. Thanks for the super chats, and remember that the main points that we made. And thanks for watching. May the Lord bless you, and good day.